the County Pulse Podcast, where we take the pulse of Kankakee County and beyond and talk with our friends, neighbors, and movers and shakers. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the County Pulse and drop a follow. Now let's get this thing started. Let's welcome uh, Marie Anderson to the County Pulse Podcast. Uh, Marie is an international published author and former fashion model with several decades of experience scouting, developing, and managing fashion models from inside uh, every Chicago top fashion uh, model agency. Currently, she dedicates her time to coaching her model clients, public speaking, scouting, managing their fashion models as independent agent, as well as producing model coaching videos and her online company, Boss Babes. So I thought maybe we'd take a few minutes, Marie, if we could, to talk a little bit about how we got to know each other. My middle daughter, Olivia, she was playing volleyball. She's kind of concerned about her grades and where she was going, so pulled her out of volleyball. And then I felt extremely bad about it because my oldest daughter, we traveled all over the country for travel softball, and we, we kind of felt like, well, that was our obligation to her. And one of the things that I started thinking about was when my oldest daughter was playing travel softball was there was a lady there that said, you should be a model. She actually mentioned your name. I said, you know what? I'm going to track down this Marie Anderson. I'm going to figure out what she's about, and then we'll see if we can get in there. And I think you had callings. Was it on Fridays? Was that when it was? Open calls. Open calls. Yeah, on Friday. On Friday. So we decided to go up there in downtown Chicago, see if what the one parent was saying, and everyone kept saying she's beautiful, she should be a model, she should be a model. And so we walked in, and then I was sitting there with Olivia, and then they called Olivia back. But I could hear a little bit of what was going on. So it sounded to me when I was listening at that time that you and Olivia were seemed to be having a good conversation. What was your yeah. what was your perspective at that time? First of all, it was me that called Liv, right? So I was the one that was doing open calls. So when anytime I go into the lobby and I you know, I'm going by the list of people who had checked in, right? The chronological names. So when I called, maybe it was Olivia, but to me, she's always been Liv. But so I might've called Olivia and then she got up and started coming towards me. She came into the little interviewing room, which was like five feet away from the lobby. Mm -hmm. So for me, I always tried to, at Agency Galatea, I always tried to interview people during open call very close to the lobby so everybody could hear what I was saying because I always like full transparency. So she comes back, right? She and I are sitting together in, in a small interviewing room with the door open. I absolutely loved her tenacious personality and I thought she was absolutely beautiful. And she, to my frustration she looked too similar to a model that I already had and I was explaining to her how it wasn't going to work how I I could not represent her and she was not taking no for an answer and I think she had my book that I had written or one of them in her in her purse or something and she pulled it out and starts explaining how she had read my book 
I was her objective in getting into the modeling business. And before I know it, she had talked me into representing her. <laughs> That's Olivia. And I was like, oh, right, right. So I was like, wait a minute. I was saying no. And now I'm thinking yes. And so before I knew it, I was thinking that this was a girl I needed to have. Because to me as an agent, I'm looking for tenacity. And it's one thing to be tall and thin and beautiful and have a lovely personality, but there are hundreds of models that I meet like that. But there's only 1% of them who have that tenacious sense of who they are and what they want, and they're not going to accept no for an answer, but to do it in a very charming way. That's what she had done. And so she had me then, and I think either she said something about her dad and her brother, and I was like, what, they're here? And my memory is vague, because that was years ago, but I think at that point, we kind of met for like a minute saying hello in the lobby, and then I think you guys came back. But I had given her homework, like I think she had long French manicured nails, and I wanted her to cut off her nails, and get rid of her makeup and I wanted to cut her hair and she was like, okay, okay, okay. Like, just tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. And I think you had explained quickly about the fact that you all came from um, an athletic family. And so you understood hard work commitment and how this is going to be very time intensive while juggling high school. So you all just had me as a whole family package. It was my memory that you eventually then came back as a family and we had a group discussion. Th- that is. And, and I think when you talk about Olivia and her selling herself and not taking no for an answer was around here, whenever we had something to sell for school, it was Josie. Josie's a little bit more hardcore and, we always said Josie didn't have a filter. She would just tell you the way it's going to be. And I think that's a good quality too. <laughs> and, but that doesn't work well if you've got to sell cookies for the school or you got to do this. Right. So anything that we had, or if we had Grayson had tickets for football, we would give them to Livy. So some of them would, some <laughs> Grayson would go or Josie would go, couldn't sell anything. Uh-huh. Livy come back uh-huh. and sell them all. That I, there was just, and and as far as coming back, part of softball was we we were trained in softball that when it came time to dealing with Josie, our oldest daughter, in softball, that they dealt with the coaches at a certain point. They don't want to deal with the parents. They don't want helicopter parents and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And and volleyball was kind of the we knew volleyball would be the same way. So I didn't go back because it was like okay you've got to make this step, but that didn't make me feel any more comfortable. <laughs> you know, I, it, right. was, it wasn't, dad, sure. it wasn't a matter. No one didn't invite me back. I mean, I could have just said, Hey, I'm coming mm-hmm. in, but it's like, okay, well, you know, it's kind of like spreading your wings, right? You got to spread your wings a little bit. And uh, yeah. so it was that, that's kind of how we met. And, and then we had a, a, a stint in which, you know, uh, Olivia, had uh, modeled in Chicago and then overseas and stuff like that. And that was a, that was a very unique thing. Uh, I think you remember when Olivia and Callie, 
Hallie, uh, went overseas and yeah, I decided I'd go with them. You were their escort. (laughs) Yes. That wouldn't have happened without you. You know that, right? (laughs) Well, it, it was, you know, and I know that, you know, now I know looking back on it, that this happens all the time. Kids, kids, younger kids, go all yeah. over the world, right? For me, it was a little bit harder to let go. We got to know Hallie's parents, uh, or at least her mom. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, part of my guarantee was I'm going to take care of them. And so, you know, we went to the airport. We met you at the airport. Yep. And we had to take, I think it was Aer Lingus that went into Ireland and then went, and we had to take another one down to uh, Milan to the airport, uh, to Italy. And so it's all new to me. I've never been overseas. So, you know, it's as new to me as it is to the kids. What I found Mm -hmm. out later was I was petrified and they thought I was the coolest thing in the world because that's what kids do. (laughs) And so I thought the the neat part of it was both from um, taking care of them, but also letting them go. Well, because it was a short turnaround, it was only a couple of days, and you lose a lot of time traveling over there. Yeah. Was when I got there, one of the things that I wasn't really clear on was that they set up the model's apartment, correct? Right. Uh, the, yes. the agency. The agency. The, the agency. Yep. And then as they make money, they deduct that money for their rent, right? Yes. So uh, I had actually did an Airbnb, and the Airbnb was... Uh, I found it and I, I felt comfortable. There was three ladies. So I felt comfortable with that J- only because mm-hmm. I didn't have to worry about somebody playing any games or anything, you know, and, right. and you worry about that going over, you know, going to a new place. And so yeah. we went to the models apartment. It was less than welcoming from my perspective. <laughs> yeah. Little, sadly, that's pretty common yeah, in models apartments. It was, That's one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is that, you know, it's not like the models, the model agencies create these five-star hotels for the models to stay in. They're generally really not ideal, but yes, to your point, like that was a, that was a very sad experience for you guys initially. Well, and it was, it was scary and, and we went in and it was, it, it wasn't, it was old. It was dingy. It wasn't very nice. But interesting, it was only about maybe a block, block and a half away from where my Airbnb was. And mm-hmm. we put their stuff down there, and then the driver took us over to, and when I say driver, it's not like you're in a limousine. It's just some guy you cram in the car with. So, you know, I think sometimes right? people have this this thought. Well, Glamour. You know, hey, you were you were in a limo, and they the my driver <laughs> took me here. It was just some yeah, kid, that, some kid that picked us up at the airport because they said pick him yeah. up at the airport. So we go to our place. My place was beautiful, and so we got in there. And the first thing Olivia said was, "Why does my dad get?" Not that they knew the answer. Why does my dad get the really cute place? And <laughs> so I looked online and I seen. I'm like, well, they don't have anything. So I'm thinking is there a chance that we can rent this? Maybe not stay at the model's place and we could rent this. Or in, And then, you know, I was trying to figure out, is that going to be a problem for the agency? So we may have talked or text back and forth, and then we went to the agency and I talked to her agent there. Giorgio. Uh, Giorgio. And he's a shorter tang guy, so 
I said, I want to talk you out in the hallway. And I think he, <laughs> I, I think he was a little concerned about it. Um, yeah. but I was just, you know, I was just direct. Like we need to, and I said, yeah. not very happy. He said, what's the problem? And I told him, I said, the problem is, is that it's not very clean. It's not very nice. It's yeah. dingy. And I don't feel comfortable leaving here. Are you going to have a problem if I put them up somewhere else at my place when I leave and they can stay mm -hmm. there? No problem. So good. So then. <laughs> I had to negotiate the deal with the ladies and actually turned out to be less than what the model's apartment was. And it turned out to be those yeah. three ladies were actually like her three mothers, her and Hallie's three mothers while they were there, both when Liv was there the first time and the second time. So when we finally wound up and kind of got on track, it was about time for me to go. And Livy said, I got to go to work. And it was raining that day in Milan. She said, dad, I got to go. And she gave me a kiss. And then Hallie was getting ready and she was getting ready to leave. And so I was getting my stuff because I had to leave. And I think I still have a picture of it. I took a picture. I walked to the window and looked. We were probably about the fifth floor up and I looked and there she was. It's still hard to talk about now. There she was walking down the sidewalk. That My little girl was just walking down. So it's like, that's it. I got to leave now. And yeah. I, I broke down and started crying. I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can leave them, you know? I mean, I yeah. knew I left them in a good place. But then yeah. over time, what I found was especially, and I'm not saying this is true of everyone, but certainly of, of these folks, these Italian folks, was that she, when we were there, said, right here, this door right here, you open up this door out in the hallway, that door, that's my parents. They don't speak any English, but you have any problems? And then different events came up. And they celebrate the end of, I think, winter there. So it's, they brought over this big chocolate egg, and they did this, and they did that. They did all wow. these neat things for him. Livy got sick. They bought an air conditioner and put it in for him. It was such a unique thing going from a father who said, I'm going to make sure that these girls are taken care of and they got the, the best place possible, to I felt like a crying baby when I left. I remember being at the airport texting Charlotte saying, I don't know if I can come home. You know, not that I wanted to stay there, but I can't leave them, you know. I understand. Uh, you were conflicted emotionally, sure. Yeah, but it was uh, it was a great opportunity. And then to know, you know, she had some really great modeling opportunities there was just fantastic. So, so tell me a little bit about how you got started in the modeling industry and, and kind of your history. Well, the quick version is before my mother met my father, she had been a model. So... Let me see, I was born in 1958, so that gives you an indication of how long ago that was. And it wasn't like she had some big successful career, but it was important enough to her that when I was a young person, like literally like toddler, um, maybe just a little older so I could walk by myself. But anyway, my mother had um, been a community activist and she would put on fashion shows that were fundraisers and I would be one of the models, you know, walking down the catwalk as a little girl. So it was my mother really that exposed me to the modeling industry, but it was like nothing like what Liv has experienced, right? As a model for me, it was just local and it was whatever my mommy was doing, but she also taught me how to, um, so clothes, so I was making my Barbie doll clothes and eventually my clothes as I got older. And so I wanted to be a clothing designer. 
like that was it. I lived and breathed fashion and making my own clothes and coming up with my own creative interpretation of patterns. And so as I was getting older into high school, I was starting to apply for uh, college scholarships because I didn't have enough money to go to college by myself. And uh, I got rejected by all the colleges with the exception of one. And then my home ec sewing teacher, when I told, when I showed her the letter, she looked at me like I was so pathetic. And she said, Marie, you will never be a clothing designer. You just don't have any talent. So I literally gave up my scholarship and my lifelong dream. I mean, lifelong, I was 17. But still, it was like my entire life was all about being a clothing designer and living, breathing, everything. Passion was becoming that clothing designer. And when she told me that, I gave it all up, which was important in that I thought that was my plan A, where I was going to be a designer and wherever college I was going to get a scholarship to, that's where I was going to move to. So when I gave up that scholarship, um, my plan B was to leave Cocoa Beach, Florida, where I had been growing up. My father was a rocket scientist at NASA during the Apollo moon program. And so when I would graduate high school in 1976, I would then move to Chicago, which I did do. And after a few years of working in Chicago at an employment agency, I would then in an administrative capacity, I would then land a job to be the studio manager of what was then, at that time, one of the biggest fashion photographers in the world. His name is Stan Malinowski. So at the age of 20, and with my typing skills from junior high, <laughs> and just the modicum of modeling experience I had as a child, and a little bit through being a teenager, that would be the foundation that I would bring in to run his studio. So as a 20-year-old, Stan became like a huge mentor and teacher. Being a photographer traveling around the world, he would take me to Italy twice a year where we would go to Rome and shoot the Italian collections, which are essentially all the designers, that, and then all those photographs would be published in the Italian magazine. And then we would go to New York and shoot a cover of Vogue. And then I would go back to Chicago with him and we would shoot a week of Sears. So I got an extreme education between the world of true haute couture, high fashion, and then back in Chicago experiencing what was then called catalog, what we now call in this era, e-commerce. So that's really where I got my education truly in the real world of fashion was running Stan's studio and working with the biggest models in the world and the art directors and hair and makeup and wardrobe stylists. So that's really where I got my education for my eye for beauty. So that's, that's how I got started initially with, with my mommy <laughs> and then eventually as an adult in an administrative capacity. And, and, and so an area that if people know, you know, this, but, uh, uh, or, or I shouldn't say an area it's, it, something that people know if they know you, um, uh, but many people don't who would listen to this, 
um, was that you had discovered uh, somebody fairly famous who's still fairly famous in the modeling industry, Cindy Crawford. How did you spot her? And then how did you get trained to discover a Cindy Crawford, right? I mean, I think it's not just, oh, she's beautiful. There's a lot of beautiful people in the world. How do you get trained to do that as well? Well, how I got trained was working with Stan, and it was really his eye. So every time I would show up at a high-brow photo shoot, the top models from around the world were booked, right? So I wasn't, my everyday wasn't working with, and I'm not being disrespectful, I'm just talking about the caliber of models that I was working with in New York and Europe were the best of the best. And so that's where I got my eye was being able to see a more exotic beauty because when you're back in that, during that time, the early eighties working in Europe is where you would see the more exotic, darker girls because if you, in America back at that time, it was all blonde hair, blue eyes, making a general statement. There was a couple, you know, more exotic looking beauty, which brings us to in America, back around that time, there was a model that was exploding and her name was Gia, G-I-A. Eventually a film would be made about her and that was Angelina Jolie's breakout film called Gia. Um, But anyway, the point was is that Gia was very exotic looking, dark eyes and dark hair. And sadly, as many bow covers as Gia had, she also had a heroin addiction. And which would lead to her getting AIDS and she would die. And about the time that I had discovered Cindy, and we'll go back to how I did, but at the time I had discovered Cindy, I had already been editing Gia's film when I worked for the photographer Stan Malinowski when he was booking her for Vogue. So Cindy would eventually be called Baby Gia because Cindy looked very much like Gia. So when Gia passed away, there was kind of like this space for a new exotic girl, and that would become Cindy. Um, so that's kind of how that, the, the, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the culture, the American culture, was ready for a little more of a diverse look. And so I just happened to be at the right place at the right time and have eventually the support of the industry that would help build her into, you know, what she is today. And that talking about tenacity and that is what I look for in all eras and uh, all the generations that I've been scouting is back to like what we were talking about with Liv. When I had interviewed Cindy for the first time, she was, and her parents were divorced. So, I had to talk to her and her mom first, and I had to talk to her, her mom and her dad. And during that time, Cindy had talked about how she had lost her little brother to leukemia. This was telling me it, that wasn't the average 16-year-old girl. And the fact that they had to travel two hours just to come in from DeKalb to, to meet with me, that told me dedication. So there was so much about her during that interviewing process that made me just want to represent her more but going back to how I initially discovered her was after three and a half years of working for Stan he suggested that I become an agent 
And I was like, wow, what a great idea. Okay. <laughs> so I called this woman by the name of Jane Stewart, who had a very small agency called Stewart Talent. I think it was about a 400 square foot office. And because I was already booking her models for like Sears or whatever bookings we're doing in Chicago, I called her and I told her I wanted to work for her as a, as a booker. And she said, okay, when do you want to start? I mean, that's a quick version of the discussion because we already had a working relationship and there was already trust there. And the, the primary reason that I was so drawn to Jane is that she had an eye for darker girls. Right, So it wasn't me trying to go into another modeling agency that only believed in blonde hair, blue-eyed girls. I was going into an agency of like-minded beauty. So I, it was after a couple of months of working for Jane Stewart at Stewart Talent that I would be interviewing a makeup artist by the name of George Satner, who had done a, a free test. You know what those are all about. You know, just portfolio testing where nobody gets paid. And they had shot this beautiful teenager who was calling herself Cynthia at that time. And so I was interviewing George and I looked through his book and I said, oh my gosh, who is this? She's amazing. And George said, oh, forget it. You know, she doesn't want to model anymore. She's been rejected by all the agencies because of the beauty mark on her face. I said, what? No, I love that. Please help me find her. And so Scott Weimer, who is the photographer who shot the images, and George collectively helped me get in touch with Cindy. And then I had to pitch myself over the phone to explain, I'm not going to reject her for the beauty mark. Please do take the two-hour drive into Chicago. Go through the construction after school. I'll wait till late just so I can meet with you guys. And she literally had me at hello. But that's how we started together was my finding her inside of George Stetner's portfolio. She had not come to me. I had found her in that book. And a year later, my boss, Jane Stewart, would merge the fashion department into Elite. She would merge with John Casablanca out of Elite New York, and we would become Elite Chicago. And... and so, so Jane had Elite Chicago for 20 years, and then she would eventually rebrand it, and it was called Factor Chosen, and now it's called um, Select, S-E-L-E-C-T. So anybody in this era of fashion, downtown Chicago, would know it to be called Select. And then Stewart Talent is still in existence, and then that's the acting component of uh, Jane's original company. So when when you talk about Cindy Crawford, I mean obviously everybody knows Cindy Crawford. Probably everybody knows. If they don't, they're, they're they've, they've got some eye problems. But she, the mole, is kind of a distinguishing factor for her, right? I mean, she's Absolutely. a beautiful yeah. lady, but that certainly adds something to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. It kind of leads me to the next question is what makes a model stand out in the industry that has a lot of beautiful people? And, and the reason I asked that was I went with Liv when Liv was modeling in like a casting call, I guess. She went up there and, you know, I was always driving her to these different places. And of course, there's all these beautiful young ladies 
put them all side by side, I don't know how you would, the average person would pick that particular model to be the one that you want. I imagine it's probably the same thing as when you're re, when you're looking at models and you see stuff, you probably see, you know, you have an eye for it, but then what makes someone stand out that, that you would look for? Well, there's no doubt that tall and thin with hips that are appropriate for the fashion business uh, and great skin and a great smile and healthy hair are what is kind of the atypical figure that we look for, whether it be male or female. So that's what we're looking for initially. And then for me, it's the interviewing process, right? Just like I had done with Liv that day. And I was saying, no, thank you. And she was contesting me <laughs> to represent her. I, I actually have quite a few stories of girls doing the same thing to me. That was kind of like became the theme because my thoughts are, if they're going to convince me to represent them, they're going to have that same tenacity with interviewing with clients. So if I'm talking to a tall, thin, strikingly beautiful girl who can not carry on a conversation, then chances are highly likely I'm not going to represent them because they're not going to be able to um, interact with clients on the casting. And so therefore they're not going to sell their services of confidence and movement in their ability to understand what their job is being on set. So it's that, that personality and even as important as the personality is what I describe as a sparkle in their eyes. There's something that's hard to explain, but there's just like this twinkle in their eyes and it's like their soul is happy. They, they are so happy while I'm talking to them that they're making me feel good about the experience. So it's not just about a service that they're providing. They're now offering an experience. It's a good, lighthearted, symbiotic experience of two humans connecting as opposed to just some stunning girl or guy and they're flat with no, no true um, connection for me. Because as you know, you're in the business of sales. Like you've been, even in baseball or whatever, there's that human connection that makes such a critical difference in the experience in selling a model or, you know, a football player to a coach. Or, and there's also that component of professionalism. Do they understand that they have to show up on time? Do they understand they have to practice their skills? Do they understand they have to follow the agent? Slash coach's direction, right? If if the if the if I'm having a conversation like I had done with Liv in that beginning, where I wanted to get her to fix her nails to look more modern, I wanted to cut her hair, I wanted her to wash her face. Like when they say, "Okay, okay, okay," it's like, yeah, that's that's a team player. That's somebody that understands their responsibility. So in the interviewing process, I'm looking at their eyes. I'm hearing their understanding of that they're cognizant of their responsibilities. They are gonna they are gonna follow through. You know, I ask them questions about their grades. How good are their grades? Like, are they being responsible in school? Do they have other commitments? You know, the interviewing process is critical for me. So it's not just about beautiful photos. It's about who is this person. 
and are they a person of substance? Well, and I think too when you when, you know I'm I'm thinking in my mind as you're as you're talking, and of course the only model that I know, and it was for a short stint, but the only model that I know is Olivia, and of course she being my daughter, but I I know she was always born with that. So it, it in many aspects this can be I, I would think, and we'll get into this later advantages and disadvantages of a model is that they've got to be a people pleaser. Right. They, you know, um, they've got to be able to, you know, have that personality. So it's not just the beauty on the outside that attracts people to them or opens doors for them or gets them, uh, that modeling gig or whatever. Um, but it's their personality as well. And I think Livy always had that Livy from, from a young age, a young, young age, always had the ability in particular with me to be able to smile and you know if she didn't get the answer from mom from charlotte she came back and got it from me and then she'd go back uh-huh. and say well dad said it was okay um because uh-huh. those things are are hard you know hard to say no not saying that i can't be rough on the kids or have a, a, a stern position on stuff charlotte always says oh he's just a big teddy bear he, and that's probably an advantage but it can also be a disadvantage because they can attract the wrong people uh as well as they can attract the right people right um uh and i think that's going to be you know that's something we'll probably talk about a little bit as we get into this about protecting models and doing the things that you're doing one, not just to help the modeling industry and the model, but then how do you make sure that you advocate for those models? As much as they have everything they need to be a model, they need that backbone and that training to be able to say, you know what, I can stand up for myself. I, can, I won't be taken advantage of. That, that's an important thing that drew me to some other entities within the modeling industry that are advocating for models. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that discussion. But it sounds to me like you've been able to function at a pretty high level, uh, and it's an ever-changing industry. You talked about the way we viewed in the United States models and talked about them in the sense that you want the blonde, blue-eyed people, and then you look at a Cindy Crawford, which is completely different than that focus. Plus, just the changes that go through that. You know, what are some of the obstacles both professionally and personally you've had to overcome to stay focused and be at the level that you're at in this industry well um well i'm gonna be 62 this summer so that's a lot of years to cover let me say the i'll try to encapsulate the answer and that would be let's start with the present i have over 16 years of drug and alcohol recovery so that gives you an indication, you know, that I had uh, a drug and alcohol problem much earlier in life, and that happened as a result of a lot of sexual impropriety that I experienced in the modeling business. And those things happened as a result of my not having any advocates around me. Keeping in mind, again, this was back a lot longer ago before there was social media or the internet where you could do a lot of research. And so when I would be asked to do like freelance model bookings, I would be, Oh, okay, I'll go do that. I didn't ever do research because I was just so darn excited for somebody to want me to do something that I would 
continuously put myself into harm's way. And because I made a lot of mistakes, that's why I'm so committed to being an advocate for models. It will, human rights in general, but specifically the models and specifically the teens because they really do need attending to, because as you know, teen brains are, are not fully developed and they think they know everything and they don't. And they can put themselves into situations being impulsive and wanting so desperately to be popular on Instagram just to say that they were somewhere Right. So they, they need somebody to kind of be their watchdog to help them. And one of the things I do is to try to get people into martial arts, including their families, so that they could learn, as you know, a lot of times kids are those people pleasers. And unfortunately, their parents haven't taught them about how to establish healthy boundaries. So a lot of times the kids will just do anything because somebody told them to and not because that that was a really good idea for their mental health or their physical health. So I've been talking about this since 1990. I've been very vocal about model advocacy and models needing to have healthier work environments because people weren't, as a general rule, people weren't really seeing models as human beings. They were seeing them as inanimate objects. And not that they were people or specifically teenagers, like being forced to uh, get hit so small that they would end up with eating disorders or feeling so pressured to be the most beautiful girl in the world that they would acquire cocaine problems because now they need to keep on pace with the agent's demands. I mean, the list is long. But finally, with the Me Too movement coming out, um, the conversation started to really happen where I was showing you people, I, I've been talking about this for decades and now you're willing to listen. So, okay, now that you're willing to listen, let's live in solutions. And that's where I was always trying to get the parents to be more proactive. And that's why you and Sharla were so um, attractive to me as an agent because you would already been through the process with your daughter, Josie, and understanding, you know, the parents have to be there. They need to be chaperones. They need to be attentive and participating. And yet at the same night, time, not being those helicopter parents where they then sabotage, right? Right. So what I have, uh, me as a human being, is that I have overcome being the victim of sexual impropriety and then turning to drugs and alcohol as my self-medication and then also now having 16 years of sobriety away from those addictions, I have now become an even better agent because my awareness even is more lucid and more fervent and being a part of the solution. And not to be Debbie Downer, but I've had 23 friends commit suicide and over the years, and only three of them have not been in the business. And as recently as last month, there was a, um, a I didn't, never met her, but there was a Playboy, Playboy model who had committed suicide. So this is not something that we need to turn a blind eye to. We need to talk about mental health and 
uh, healthy working environment. Well, you know, right, being around in the union situation, you're a perfect person to address this kind of stuff. But we need to be more proactive in treating our models as if they are human beings and being concerned for their work environment and that people learn how to be respectful. And I think you're, uh, you already know about the Model Alliance out of New York. There's also another organization out of London called Model Trust. So there are now these two very significant organizations that have been working very hard to empower everybody with information and changing laws. Thank God for Sarah Ziff, who a few years ago got laws changed to Congress to protect anybody under 18. So you no longer had the New York fashionistas taking 13-year-old girls that were the, you know, the hot girl of the day and working her for 20 hours all in the name of doing all the castings and being part of New York Fashion Week and her never being able to have a nap or really eat, right? She's still a 13-year-old. Why isn't she being taken care of? And where are the parents to make sure that the child is being taken care of? But so now, thankfully, that law passed and it's now um, very difficult for clients to book models under 18 unless there's a certain criteria that is um, met that client. And last year she got another law passed in California where models, parents, and agency employees, model agency employees, all have to take sexual harassment education, which is like both of those things are huge. Protecting people under 18 that never had advocates before and then, and that was in New York, and then in Los Angeles, having that law change last year, which now all this education is being literally mandated uh, by the government. And when you start empowering people with more information to understand, it's not okay to grab a model's butt and say, you know, I need to jiggle this to see how much of you is fat and how much of you is muscle. Like a lot of people thought nothing of that. Or, you know, an agent looking at a girl and saying, you've got a fat thought. Like, that's completely inappropriate. You wouldn't stop a girl on the street and say that to her. So why is it okay as an agent? Does this make sense? It does make sense. And, and in fact, I'm, I'm thinking and writing notes as we're, we're, we're going through this. And not to compare the industries, but, but there are similarities when you have a child that's involved or a young adult that's involved in, in some type of activity, some type of industry that you, we see this, we've seen this in basketball, um, in particular in, in areas that were economically depressed is that the parents were either, it was a broken home. The parents either worked two jobs so they could never be there. The parents may have fell on hard times or some of addictive uh, personality thing that that led them to a to abuse of of drug mm-hmm. and alcohol and we found and it wasn't just folks that had those obstacles in front of them but i struggled with 
and again, this is basketball. I struggle with how do we get parents involved? How do we get them to understand what their role is as a stakeholder in this child's life? Because oftentimes you get that particular child, uh, no matter what age they were, and you have to deal with whatever environment he or she came from. And so if you went away to a tournament and there's all these families there, you then had to deal with a personality that wasn't used to structure. You know, you have to go to bed at this time. You have to do this. You have to do that. And so now when you apply that to the modeling agency, the same question still comes up. How do we get parents involved where for us, because, you know, and everything happens for a reason because of Josie's involvement in sports, we were all over the place. We'd load the car up and the summers were spent in Colorado and Boston and Tennessee Mm -hmm. and all over the place. But that's what we did. And we didn't think of it as we're her support network. We're just her family. Well, this is what you do. And in softball, in that industry, we were around a lot of families and a lot of people who, you know, financially were okay. The the family unit was still intact. How do we get, um, because I couldn't imagine me just saying Livy and Hallie go over to Italy. And that's something I had to do. Um, I just felt it within me, and I think Charlotte did the same thing. So we have a different mindset, I guess, than some other folks. Um, that's one component. The other component is, do you see the possibility of the changes that you talked about, excuse me, in New York and California, being able to come to Illinois, trying to protect people in the modeling industry? or Because um, I would assume you'd want... Uh, e- equality as it relates to legislatively for mm-hmm. models, in particular models that have in states that have pockets where modeling is big. You're probably not in, in some of the smaller states, you don't have that, but New York, Chicago, LA, those type of things, um, you probably got a bigger component of model models in the modeling industry. Do you think that's possible to work on a level with those other advocacy groups to push for legislative changes in Illinois for models? Well, you just brought up two very important questions. One are the parents and two is legislation. So for me, when it relates to parents getting more involved, as an agent, when I'm interviewing the the potential model, regardless of age, regardless of gender, their parents or um, legal guardians have to be with me during the discussion of a contract being offered. As I was saying before about then with you and Liv and Charlotte and Grace, and like we had a family meeting, right? Then I also had a family meeting with Cindy Crawford and her mom, Cindy Crawford and her mom and her dad, because her parents were divorced. They were um, two uh, series that uh, two series of meetings that evolved as she was making the decision if she even wanted to take the chance to do it. But for me as an agent, the family, even if it's an independent mom, which I have represented models in the past that only had one parent. So it wasn't so much as how many parents were involved. It was how attentive and how committed is that parent being a part of evolving that model's career because if 
I'm interviewing, I don't care how pretty the girl is or the guy, handsome the guy is, if they're young and they're still living at home and relying on those parents for their financial like support, right, to help them in their modeling career, if that parent is not prepared to be the adult in the relationship when I can't be there on set and I can't take that model to their casting, if I can't rely on that parent, then I won't offer them a contract. So for me as an agent, modeling is a family experience. It's not just me one-on-one with the model. Now my philosophy flies in the face of a more different attitude and a lot of agents don't want the parents involved because they want to be more controlling of that person meaning the aspiring model. They want to essentially dictate to that model. And most of them are so young, as we established before, don't know how to speak up for themselves, don't know about healthy boundaries, and they'll just conform and do whatever the agent tells them to do. And a perfect film for people to watch is Sarah Ziff, and this is how I became familiar with Sarah Ziff, is she did a documentary about 10 years ago called Picture Me. And that was a documentary showing how she started off as this bright-eyed, twinkly-eyed, happy-to-be-a-model documentary. And by the end of the documentary, she was a miserable girl making lots of money. And the twinkle had left her eye because she she wasn't speaking up for herself and she was doing whatever the agents told them to do. So I work differently than a lot of agents. And that's another thing that bothers the crap out of me where parents will so often just offer their child, and I don't mean literally a child, their their offspring, their daughter or their son, to an agent and just go, oh, do whatever you want with them. I just want to see them on the cover of Vogue. Because you and I both know there are these things, and I don't call them momagers or dadagers. I use that term with affection. But there are people that are called stage parents. And those are the people that, I cannot work with because they are people who are not concerned about their child's mental health first. They're more concerned about that model being on the cover of a magazine than they are concerned about that particular person now having an eating disorder for whatever reason. You know, for me as an agent, I'm looking at the family as a unit. They all have to work together cohesively to help create that foundation that we can all work together as a team. Because as you know, that player can be an astounding baseball player, but if they're having mental health issues, they're not going to perform at a superior rate, right? Right. So they need that support. And that's what to me is such a sad situation and why I'm so excited about Sarah Ziff and what she's been doing with the Model Alliance in changing legislation is that she wasn't just a, a a model who walked away unhappy. She was a model who walked away and thought, how can I fix this? And she did it significantly. My therapist told me years ago, Marie, you will never see changes in your lifetime in the modeling business. And I'm so happy my therapist was wrong because Sarah Ziff broke it open And her modeling career took a a dive as a result of 
her coming forward and exposing the sexual impropriety and the hostile work environments and the modeling business. And it's not just in America, it's worldwide, right? So she went to Columbia, got herself a college education, created the Model Alliance, got legislation changed. Like she did what I so badly wanted to do, but I didn't have the, um, like, the, it, it's not to say I'm stupid, I just didn't have that savvy to get legislation changed. And I was so consumed with always running an agency, which is a full-time job. So God bless Sarah for taking, you know, this into her own hands and creating the Model Alliance and now Elizabeth Peyton Jones out of London. I don't think she's had laws changed, but she's been very active in creating an educational program and bringing in high-end brands and making them accountable to creating safer work environments for the models. That's kind of a long-winded answer, but I really do believe that parents, how do you get them more involved? Well, that's more of a, an answer for a shrink. But for me as an agent, I have to interview the parents as much as I'm interviewing the aspiring model because there's too many stage parents out there that sabotage my ability to make money and to have a healthy uh, working model. Do you see or can you envision legislatively change in Illinois? To- that to me is, is a wonderful objective. And 10 years ago, if you would have told me there would be a girl by the name of Sarah Ziff who's going to create the model allowance and change legislation, I would have laughed at you and say that's impossible because there are too many people working against mental health in the industry. And then look at this little miracle worker, and she's not little. She's very tall and very pretty. <laughs> but this youngin, you know, she's a youngin to me because I'll be 62, as I said. So I would love to see legislation change. I would love to be a part of that legislation changing. With that being said, I've never been involved in politics, me specifically, because it's just, it hasn't been my wheelhouse. I just don't know, as you know, you know better than I do, there's a certain way that you behave in the political world, and that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the business world and vice versa. So, but what I would like to talk about in legislation potentially changing to identify, if you weren't aware of this before, that there is no, there are no unions in the modeling business right? So there's no such thing as a union, a model union. People have tried in the past, but because most most models are young and they're entrepreneurs and they don't understand what's on the horizon and how to be better business people and to be proactive, they don't understand why it's important to be even part of a union. So that's that's a problem right there. And then also, secondarily, there is no industry um, board of approval or reprimand, meaning that every state monitors itself. And in every state, we are governed differently in how it relates to the laws. For example, 
in the state of Iowa, in the state of Missouri, in the state of Georgia, you don't even have to get a license to open up a modeling agency. All you have to have is a business license. So anybody in those three states, if they get a business license, they are now legally able to open up an agency, call themselves a modeling agency, and then start having open calls and interviewing models and signing them to contracts with absolutely no qualifications to be in that position. Right? There's nobody preventing that from happening, and that happens every day. Now, in the state of Illinois, we have to have not only a business license, but we have to be licensed under the Department of Labor under Rules and Regulations of Employment Agency Act. So we have to take a test under the Department of Labor, and essentially the test is from a thick pamphlet that we read about unions, truckers and nurses, their cigarette breaks and their lunch breaks, which has nothing to do with what we do for a living as an agent if we're working inside of traditional booking agencies. So we have to go downtown to the Department of Labor on our scheduled day, spend $50, answer questions that are relevant to nurses and truckers. And as long as we weren't a convicted felon and we pass that test, we're now licensed agents. And again, no criteria to sit across from a teenager like Liv and talk about her future as a, as a model. You know, the government is just relying on whatever modeling agency owner to make the right decision. Is well, this making sense? It is. And I, I think part of the problem is this is just my perspective. Part of the problem that we've got in the modeling industries, it's not on anybody's radar screen. Sometimes what has to happen is these things, ha we have to figure out ways to get them, one, on the radar screen to understand that this is mm -hmm. a, in many aspects, you could say not for all agencies or all agents, but for many, you could, you could say it's almost an underground industry. Because once a shady agent signs them, then they can do basically what they want. There's no controls. There's no parameters. 100%. Right? And so it's not. 100%. And so a lot of people don't think in, in that realm. So the, I think the first thing you've got to do is, is get it on a radar screen in Illinois. And the way you do that is you pick out legislators who have that component inside of them that understands the issue and, and you mentioned this earlier the issue of of human rights if you understand human rights and you would understand model rights right because it's one and the same except for it's just mm -hmm. narrowed to that particular industry you know mm -hmm. i think what would be in, important and we talked about this a couple of years ago i think what would be important is reaching out to a model alliance or whatever and saying how did you get that done here how did you get it done in california now california uh, is different than us. I think it's more progressive. Uh, it's much yeah. more legislatively yeah, yeah. sound than what we are. Uh, New York maybe mm -hmm. as well too, but that's a big, you know, that's a big component of, of that industry. Plus I think they're based out of New York. So they're able to do that. But if I was to guess what they've done, they've put that on a radar screen. They've got people working for them that know how to reach those legislators that can make it happen. 
they rolled yeah. into something similar to a JCAR here, which is a Joint Committee on Administrative Rules, which is a committee that oversees rules, something to that. And there's some way to be able to administer that. The other component of that, moving away a little bit from the legislative, is unfortunately, because of the day and age we're living in, dealing with models is it's not just a singular relationship. Because when you, you know, you're, you're in contact with your models, no matter where they're at, right? You, what's happening, what's going on, what are you doing, right? Because um, you're, you're not in the modeling industry just for giggles, right? You're, you, you know, at some point you became a modeling agency and an agency because you love yeah. the industry, because you did it, but you're not there to lose money. You're there to make money. So you want to make sure that people are doing what they're going to do. But I think there's another component of that, and we've seen that in the labor movement, is we have to always constantly educate people. We have to keep them up to date. The, the, the uh, recipe for failure is lack of communication. And so Absolutely. I, I think you have to wrap those parents in that. So when you're dealing with that model, even if that parent's not engaged, you've got to engage them. And sometimes that engagement when they find out something, it may be something that's really positive for them. They're looking, they're, they're uh, what we used to say, a, a, a ladder climber, right? Um, yeah. They want to see uh, their kid on the cover of a magazine. Or they may be pissed off because they've seen something they don't like it. I don't, for me, it doesn't make any difference why you've been agitated. And that's the key point is agitation. Why you've been agitated to the point to reach out to me to make sure that your kid is uh, doing things or why are they doing things or why are you taking this position? The key is, is that now you're engaged in that process. So I think that's an important thing. And I think that's, that also then holds true legislatively of how we go out and how we agitate those folks to make sure that they understand that this is an industry there. Um, and whether we like it or not, when you do that, let's say that process happens, we're able to figure out what we've got to do in Illinois for models. The great thing that the great tool that you have that many others don't is beauty cells. So you can have models with you, whether they're good looking young men, men, good looking young women, women, mm -hmm. whatever, they're there. People are going to tend to look at that and looking at someone like, you know, me, even though I consider myself Brad Pitt, but, yeah. uh, um, but so, but that, that, that becomes a component because people's going to turn, where do they turn TVs to? Where do they go to? They're on Instagram. They're on YouTube. They're yeah. and, and less authentic. Like more fake right and so you're able to bring in people who are just naturally beautiful people and and then if you've got what you're trying to accomplish along with legislators that you have their ear the squeaky wheel isn't going to get any grease if it ain't squeaking right and so mm -hmm. uh it's just a matter of how do we make that squeaky legislatively and my personal opinion, and you know, people listening to this may not disagree. They they may not like this administration in Illinois. Now would be the time because, from labor's perspective, it's been yeah. the most progressive administration in a long time from labor's standpoint of view. And and I don't know. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of daylight between labor 
and what what you're advocating for for models um, because it's really Absolutely. about workers' rights. Absolutely. Right? Thank you. Mm-hmm. Going back to the models and stuff, what are some of the important building blocks for young young models or up-and-coming models? What are some of the important building blocks uh, if they want to be successful in the modeling industry or if they want to get into the industry? Um, big question, and I'll try to consolidate. Some of the most important building blocks is, first of all, it sounds really abstract, but mental health. Like they have to, it's very, very important that they don't have a, a drug and alcohol problem or an eating disorder because it will only get exacerbated if they get into the business because the business is going to put them under a magnifying glass and everybody is going to tell them something differently. And it's like trying to learn how to play basketball with 10 coaches talking to them at the same time. You just can't. You need to have that one voice that you trust, that one coach or one agent that can help guide you. So mental health first, then having a sense of business and that you understand that it's not just about being pretty. It's about in this era, it's all about entertainment. What does that person do to solve the problem of the client? So when the model is going in on a casting, they have to know how to pitch themselves, explaining that they're a dancer or that they're a martial artist or that they do parkour. You know, I mean, that they are a performer. They can move in front of the set and then they become the solution to the casting director or the client is trying to fill the job because if somebody doesn't know how to move in front of the camera, then essentially they become a liability to that client because they don't understand their responsibility of entertaining, of moving in front of that video camera or that uh, still photography camera and capturing the essence of what the client is looking to capture to sell whatever it is, whether it's fashion or a Mercedes car, right? Like they have to understand it is a business. So it's just not about being pretty and they have to be patient, very, very patient and understanding that this is not something that happens overnight. They have to be more of a chess player than a checker player. So they have to be prepared. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, well, and, and I think the other thing that's important that I didn't understand is you could be the most beautiful person in the world, mm-hmm. but there are some, there are some peripheral things that, that you got to do, you know, dancing, acting, those kind yep. of things. It's kind of like, you know, if you can relate it to a sports analogy, it's like talking today, play basketball, but the, one of the best kids in the country played soccer when he was younger. He's got great feet. He can move. Yeah. He's six nine Thank and he you. plays like a guard. It's the same thing there. And I think oftentimes it, it, it works the same. My talent on the court will carry me only so far. What else did I do to, to, to succeed? And it's the same thing with modeling is your beauty can take you so far, but you got to be able to do things of some type of dancing is beneficial. Like you said, yeah. martial arts, um, some type of acting, those type of things, mm-hmm. you've got to be able to move it. If you're up there like like a statue and they need you Thank moving you. around, it's problematic. 
some people think, oh, beauty, I've got the most beautiful kid in the world, be a great model, but uh, chew gum and walk at the same time can be problematic if he's uh, if yeah. he or she's in the wrong casting. 100%. Oh, I'll give you an example um, just about beauty, height, with traditional requirements. So uh, a couple of years ago, I was on Instagram, and I saw this exquisite beauty on a photographer photographer's Instagram and we happened to know each other and I asked the photographer's name is Jason and he said oh she's Isabella she's a 16 year old in San Diego she doesn't have an agency but she's only five six I said I don't care she's amazing he said she's even more amazing in person so anyway the point is is that I as a result of this photographer I reached out to mom and became the mother agent to this five foot six ballerina who lives in San Diego and I placed her in Los Angeles. I placed her in New York because she, not only was she so pretty, but she's a point ballerina. She can move like most models dream about moving. And last year she booked a Chanel commercial with Johnny Depp's daughter. Wow. 10 years ago that, that didn't happen. Five foot six girls just weren't people. Agents wouldn't even think about a five foot six model. But now if they're a ballerina, Oh, we don't care how tall she is. And also as you know, we haven't really talked too much about it. Social media is a critical component too. When you're a model now, you essentially have to open up and you know, you've been going through, not only did you go through it with Liv, but you're going through it now with this podcast where anytime you create an endeavor in this era, you have to have your own little media company where you're constantly promoting on social media. So it's not just the modeling component of you being on set and making sure you're eating right and getting to the gym and that you're taking care of the body and you know, all the traditional things, but also you have to have the savvy of promotion and creating fun content that makes it appealing to then create a a higher following. And then clients look at that following and say, oh, okay, this market research has already been done for us. If this model has 50,000 followers, she's got to be like a reliable professional person. So she's already gone through the screening process, so to speak, of the industry. In this era, it's all about entertainment, social media, and um, being business savvy well and and not only that i mean i think it's amazing the similarities uh, when josie's playing softball in that particular sport i was the college coordinator for our softball team at least our team and the guy who ran the program dave betcher was our coach so that wasn't a huge advantage but we would put together profile sheets so we would go to let's say st louis or colorado where all the college coaches showed up and I'd have a brochure with all the girls' pictures, their GPA, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, where they play, yeah. where they graduate. And I would hand that out. And that was the way you promoted uh, your player, but the entire team. Mm-hmm. And then you had to go out and you had to, at that point, email people and stuff. Now moving to where we are today with Grayson and football it's a different sport, which has different components to it uh, as it relates yeah. to recruiting. But now the key component for recruiting is Twitter. They 
you know, they'll take emails, they'll they want you to fill out their sheet on the paper, but, but it's Twitter. And the key is, one, following the right people, and two, keeping it clean. And, yeah, thank you. And keeping it active, right? So yeah. you're, you're, you've got, so he'll go work out, um, and uh, I'll take videos or pictures, and I'll put it up on his Twitter account. Now, of course, it's mm-hmm. slowed with the COVID-19 because we've kind of been stuck in-house, but you've got yeah. to update those things. And what happens is people look at that, and I assume it's the same thing with modeling. You, they want to know you're in shape. They want to know you're doing this. They want yeah. to know to do that. They want to make sure it's clean. They don't want a troubled model, like you don't want a troubled mm-hmm. athlete. And you. um, you've got to be able to put that out there and show that you're doing the little things to be successful if you have whether it be a hundred followers or a hundred thousand followers if you're not keeping that particular social media active right and it could be instagram it could be facebook could be twitter whatever it may be if you don't keep that active they don't follow you. They'll follow the, the, the person over here and they'll look at that person right. and say, Oh, they're at the gym. Oh, they're at their mm-hmm. dance class. Oh, they're working out. They're lifting weights, whatever it may be. That's such an important component. Like you said, it's, it's as though that, that particular segment of that industry has now fallen directly onto the model or the athlete yep. where they've mm-hmm. got to be on target with what they're doing got to be promoting the right things they gotta be saying the right things they don't need to be pictures of them at a party with beer in their hands or different things like that doing all the things that you know aren't favorable to you know either their their sport or their career exactly you know there's been a lot of changes you know you were a an agent and you were situated in Chicago. So what are you doing now? What's your latest adventure in this ever-changing wide industry of modeling? Well, for the past three years, I've had Boss Babe Models, and Boss Babe Models is essentially a one-on-one model career coaching company where I literally sit across from teens and their parents and essentially do what I did as far as a booking agent inside of an agency, the drastic difference is is I get paid by the parent. I no longer am an, an employee of an agency. So I'm neutral. I'm totally just there for that individual. I'm their advocate. And so I'm not working for any company that would influence, you know, some kind of career suggestion or whatever. But I've been always very much you know, that neutral Switzerland for the model, always trying to battle for them instead of the, what was best for the agency. Honestly, you know, I built my career on that, but I also manage 10 models. So I've got my one-on-one career coaching, and then I've got the 10 models that I am the mother agent to, in which then I place my models with agencies, and then those agencies put the models and then the agencies give me a commission uh, a year later on whatever that model book. So it's essentially two things that I do primarily. And then I have the online video coaching course. Right now I'm selling it through Udemy. And 
I, I'm forgetting the name of the title, but you can go in and search Maury P. Anderson model on Udemy, and I'm sure it'll pop up. And it's only nine $9.99. And also another thing that um, they can do, not that you would ask for this, but uh, I also have on YouTube, Boss Babe Models has a channel, and there's a whole bunch of free videos that they can watch on how to become a model. And the majority of those videos are literally one minute Instagram length uh, model tips. So I'm all about education, whether it's a course I'm selling on Udemy on how to be a model or it's free videos on YouTube on how to be a model or, you know, the paid situation, one-on-one coaching. I'm all about trying to empower people with accurate industry secrets so that they can then take that as an action plan and try to build themselves into global brands. So, so if somebody was saying, uh, you know, I think I'd, you know, I brand themselves as a professional model, they could go to Udemy, they could buy the course that would give them some insight on how to become a model or how to, you know, at least get some tips, how to do it, the modeling career, maybe social media and stuff like that. Somebody could start off that way to at least have some minimal investment, but then also be able to get something back that would be valuable for them. Because I think hitting the pavement, doing what they've got to do, going to their, to their, um, I guess you'd say casting calls or their calls, um, trying to get work. There's somebody next to you that's doing the same thing that is as good looking as you are. Right. Um, yeah. So it's it's not a matter of it's not a matter of well I'm going to walk in and they're just everyone's going to fall over because man I'm a good looking guy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you've got to have that component that helps you step out. So it sounds to me like the the Udemy and I just typed it in and I'm looking at it now um, would be a good opportunity. Would you say for folks to be able to uh, at least get that initial step into the modeling industry? Yeah, I would say even before that, they could go to YouTube for free and watch my videos. Okay. <laughs> uh, and that'll give them a really good understanding of how the process works because those videos cover a real, probably 25 different topics of the business. And then my video through Udemy for nine, I think it's $9.99. It's almost an hour's worth of five different people talking. However, that subject is pretty much focused on social media. Okay. Oh, I just found the, the title. It's called How to Brand Yourself as a Professional Model. <laughs> like, that's such a hard title to remember. How to Brand Yourself as a Professional Model is the name of the Udemy course. Okay. For $9.99. And it, as I say, it's focused on social media. Whereas the Boss Babe Models YouTube videos are all over. It covers tons of different topics. I actually, when when people are coming to me who might have infants or toddlers or, you know, uh, younger children, and they go, oh, you know, my infant wants to be a model. <laughs> I'm like, okay, do me a favor. Before we start in talking about this seriously, I want you to go to my LinkedIn and go to my article that's entitled, How Much Is Your Child's Innocence Worth? Go read that article. Tell me 
how it's going to be okay for your child to endure some of those very adult experiences and then tell me that that's going to be fun for you and your toddler to sit for an hour in a casting and then to be told that they're not dark enough or their hair isn't curly enough or they're fat or, you know I mean? Like people say stuff comes out of adults' mouths to young people and there's no filter. They're not even thinking it's true. And the, as you know, kids hear those words and they, they become chiseled on their soul. So if a person of color, some child is being told that their skin isn't dark enough because some insensitive human being told them that they're, that that advertising client is actually thinking of a darker skin clientele to be, um, mirrored in that particular commercial, that child isn't going to be able to discern the difference between somebody just being insensitive or somebody who is telling them that they're, they're not good enough. The, the industry, you have to be, and this is tough to be this way as a kid. It's tough this way to be as an adult. You have to be prepared for a lot of no's, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I remember Livy saying she showed up at one of the calls for work in Italy and there was like 400 models there, you know, and, yep. and, and, you know, you, again, it's not like I look around and everybody else looks like crap. They're all beautiful people too. Mm-hmm. And you could walk in there and you could walk in, it could be a hundred, could be 50, could be 400, could be more. Mm-hmm. And your chances are, in that case, one in 400 of being picked. And one in 50, one in 100, one in 500. Those aren't good odds. And so you're going to get a no. So you've got to be able to handle those. Um, and that's a hard thing to do. It's kind of like, again, I, I use a lot of sports now. It's kind of like golfing. You have a really bad hole, they say, or a bad shot. You just move on as though it didn't happen. That's yeah. a hard thing to do. Um, cause you keep thinking, what did I not do? Right. What could I do? Well, should I do this? Should I do that? Um, so you've got that and then you've got in, in the industry and I was experienced this with, with live when you go there, you get a lot of handlers, quote handlers that, you know, the models, they, when they're in town, what does a nightclub want? Nightclub wants beautiful women sitting in a VIP yep. area, um, yep. because that's what sets it off. Right. Um, mm-hmm. now it, it appears to me from everything she's told me that the person that she was closest to took, you know, was really good. He wasn't, wasn't there for any other reason, but it's a, it's a little bit faster lane. And then what happens yeah. is then they start saying, Hey, why don't we go and we'll go on a guy's got a hundred foot yacht or whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you come down for the week and stay with, uh, you know, three or four other models and there's, you know, the guys down there and you can have a party down in Mexico on the water the whole time. And, and so you have to be aware that while you're striving, and I don't think there's anything wrong with striving to be the top model and to be on the cover Mm -hmm. of Vogue or, or to make your career successful, that there are people out there that are trying to take advantage of you as a model um, and they're not interested in your career at all. They're not interested in your path. They're Absolutely not interested not. in your feelings. They're not interested in, in your physical feelings and your emotional feelings. 
they just want to use you because you're a beautiful person. I mean, they're not inviting me down there to hang out for a week. They're, they're doing that. And so I think people have to go into that, to this industry with their eyes wide open, knowing that, Hey, there's good in the world and there's good in the industry. There's bad in the world. There's bad in the industry. And you have to be aware of that. And in particular, these models have to be aware of that because oftentimes they'll go, Livy went over for Italy. You know, people kept saying, oh, you're going to Milan, Italy. And that's great. I go, you don't understand. I'll leave today. When I arrive, it will be the next day farther on mm-hmm. than what it is. And then I'm flying back in another day and a half. Now, when I leave, she's staying there for three months. That's a long time for a young person to be not just not under your watchful eye as a parent, but to be in another country, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I said when I came back, I, I don't care if it's 3 o'clock in the morning. If I get a call and I got to go, I'll, I'll, I'll get there. But how many parents are going to do that? Yeah. And two, by the time you get there, is it too late? So yeah. uh, it's just pretty unique, uh, I think, what you're doing now, kind of shaving away and chipping away at – an industry that really needs to be revamped. And I don't know how you go about, except for right now legislatively, because it's so hard on a, you know, an independent contractor. It's not as though all those models work for company A and you can organize those, how you do that. So I think legislatively, you know, that's one option. Uh, Secondarily is how do you educate the model and the family of what to expect in a Mm -hmm. modeling industry? So when they go on, they can be that person that establishes some type of alliance or association where they're from uh, that is helpful to the, uh, so I, you know, I won't keep you. We're, we're well past our hour, which I figured, Um, but that's okay. Um, because you know, we can either go podcasts aren't limited to an hour. Uh, I just thought that Mm -hmm. would be good. Um, but it was really good talking, uh, with you and getting an insight and hopefully sharing that out to folks. Um, you know, I find that I listen to podcasts best when I'm laying in bed at night and having a little trouble sleeping. Uh, when I was on the road a lot, I can plug it in and, and really hone mm-hmm. into what's happening. You know, I spent a lot of time between here and Springfield and Chicago and everywhere else. Uh, days in which uh, I've, uh, especially during the COVID-19 situation, I've watched every movie I can think of. Uh, I put those right. on and just listen to it. So this is going to be mm-hmm. another important component that, you know, we just got to kind of get out and let people know what's going on uh and hopefully uh it it can in some small way help start a change of the industry and modeling industry and make it a better place for people to come and feel comfortable putting putting all their their thoughts and dreams into career in the modeling industry yes please (laughs) yes well that's my intention that's my intention every day so any way that I can continue to expand the awareness of people to understand the significance of the challenges, as well as, you know, the glamorous uh, rewards that can come out of it, I'm here to rally to help support them. I, well, it's been fun, but and I appreciate it. Thank you. When it's, when it's ready to air, let me know, and I'll, and I'll post it. Sounds good, Marie. Take care, okay? Thanks, Jeff. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to the County Pulse Podcast. Make sure to find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The County Pulse. And drop a follow on each so you'll be able to take the pulse of Kankakee County and beyond. And beyond.